thank you for entering the darkness. That you are light. And you came so that we could see. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning as we listen and learn how to love, follow, and lead in your name. For it's your name we pray. Good morning. morning. Sounds awesome this morning. It's just so great to come together and just praise God, isn't it? It's just wonderful. I am so excited to be here. As, as your pastor said, my name is Brandon Gindon. Um, I am currently planting a church in Houston, Texas. I am originally from North Idaho. So if you know anything about culture, topography, geography, um, moving from North Idaho to Houston, Texas, you can, I mean, that's like moving from here to the moon. It, it, there's, the great thing I tell people is there's absolutely nothing like in North Idaho like in Houston, Texas. Everything is different. And uh, so in some ways, my wife and I and our family have felt a little bit like missionaries uh, going from what I tease uh, my my now fellow Houstonians that I moved from God's country to five feet above the furnace of hell. So uh, I, I learned that hell is a local phone call um, from Houston, and uh, it, it is hot there. Wow. Um, we, I came here, and it was warm here the last few days, but uh, Houston has your beat, let me tell you. Um, and yeah, I have, I've been in ministry, been a pastor now uh, going on 16, 17 years, and I Went into ministry at 24 years old and 23, 24 years old and and was at a little church plant in northern Idaho. And this plant um, just grew and did amazing things that God was doing there and, and taught me a ton and, and was able to see our church go from a handful of small groups, four, five, six small groups to 600 and some. And I had that opportunity to be a part of that and to watch God do this incredible work in an area of the United States that is very resistant to the gospel. Um, if you know much about the Pacific Northwest, uh, it is, it's like a completely unchurched region of the U.S. It's very non-Christian, in some areas even anti-Christian. And so to watch God work and do that has been incredible, and, and the church continues to do well. And so now to be in Houston and be planting um, there and, and, and amongst the, those folks has been pretty incredible. Um, it's been fun this, this weekend to be able to be here and see what God's doing in your church. And I just, I want to tell you, I get the opportunity to travel around some and get to work with churches all over the United States and even now all over the world. And I'm telling you what the Lord's doing in your church is special. And I don't just say that because, because I'm here. Um, it's really, it is true. God's blessed you with a great staff. Um, I love Joel. He, he and I are becoming great friends and, and um, God's blessing you. And so I just want to start right out this morning with just encouraging you. Um, it was wonderful to work with the small group leaders the last couple days and just to see what God's doing in their lives. And so I hope you are encouraged about your church and what God's doing here. And um, so just keep at it. Keep following the Lord. And we're going to continue in this message on um, living. This is living and what it means to be um, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And what that looks like. And we're going to look at this stage that we call a spiritual child. And I am, as Joel said, blessed with four kids. Um, I absolutely love my kids. I brag about them all the time. I'm, I am probably that annoying parent that will show you pictures and videos and talk about his kids. And I'm just proud of my kids. And we have a 16, 14, and then two boys, 12 and 11. Our 12-year-old son we adopted from Ethiopia. 
And uh, he's just an awesome kid. I'm going to talk about him in a little bit. But as my wife and I have been raising them when they were younger, and when we first adopted our son, we brought him into the home, and he was three, uh, it brought an interesting dynamic. And it highlighted uh, kids being kids. And here's what I mean by that. When he came in, he had absolutely zero concept of anything material. He had never owned anything. He had never had anything in his life. No one had ever given him a gift at a birthday. Uh, he, he was three and a half, had no concept of anything being his. And so I remember we were, he had been in our home maybe two, three weeks. And, and he and my other son are sitting in the living room. And my son had these like, he's kind of like Joel. He loves the, the whole Marvel comic thing. And he had all these like figures in Superman and, well, it's DC, right? Yeah, get it right. Uh, so anyway, he's got all these figures and he's playing with these. And my adopted son, Garrett, comes and sits down with him. And he takes one of them and he pulls the head off of it. And he starts pulling the arms off. And my, uh, my son is sitting there with this like, Look on his face like, what, what, what are you doing? And he's, Dad, what, what, stop him. And, and my other son, my adoption is like, what's the big deal? And he gets up and just walks away. He had no concept of this as actually being a material possession. And I got into then the boys started fighting. And, and, you know, parents, mine, mine, mine. And you hear this, these boys fighting over their toys. And this is mine. And, and, and how could you do that? And my other son not really caring. And the other, my two daughters never giving either of the boys grace about anything. <laughs> and, and watching this dynamic play out in our home. And, and those of you that are parents know what I'm talking about. It doesn't matter if you adopt a child from Ethiopia or you have your own kids. This, this self-centeredness comes out. It's part of our human nature and who we are. And as the kids have grown up, you know, now they fight over clothes and, and they don't fight over dolls anymore and they fight over space and bathrooms and you're in my way and quit, you know, bothering me and get away from me. And now they fight over iPhones and stuff like that. But still at the heart of who they are, they're still kids and the focus is typically on themselves and they can be real self-centered. And, and that's the stage I want to talk about today is this idea of being a spiritual child. And what does that look like and how do we grow through that? I know the last few few weeks you've been um, in these different stages, spiritually dead and spiritual infants. And those stages are so important when we look in Scripture. We see them right out of the Bible. Paul talks about in Ephesians that you're spiritually dead. And we know those Scriptures that talk about being infants, infants in Christ. And the important thing I want to make sure before we move on, I'm sure that you've heard in, in, in the sermons, is this whole concept when someone is at that stage, it's important that we understand we have to share life with them. If I'm being, going to be a disciple maker and someone that's going to invest in the lives of others, especially someone that is new, brand new in Christ, that I have to share my life with them. This whole idea of spiritually and then in the church is we've kind of adopted this mindset that when someone... When someone comes to the faith and they accept Christ, the church has a tendency to do this. We celebrate it, and then we say, okay, here's a Bible, now go sit down. And we leave them. And I want you to think about this, because we would never do this physically. Imagine for a moment if a husband and wife have a baby, and they come home from the hospital, and they walk into their living room, and they set this baby down in its little carrier on the couch, and they say, okay, awesome. You're beautiful. There's the fridge. Good luck. What, we, what would we call that? It would be abuse, wouldn't it? And see, when someone comes to Christ, 
And for us to do that and to leave them and to not continue to share our lives with them and pour into them, I believe it's spiritual abuse. And we've adopted this mindset in Christianity that the, that the finish line is salvation. See, nowhere in Scripture does Jesus tell us, now go into the world and make converts. He tells us to go into the world and make what? Disciples. And in Jesus' model of making disciples, disciples are never made outside of the context of relationship. And so it is so vital that we understand that as people come into your church from the community or as people accept Christ, that we have to share our lives with them. That we have that relational connectedness and that it's not just a pastor's job. Oh, pastor, I bring them to church, now you disciple them. No, that's not the biblical model. Jesus says that we're to be disciples that can make disciples. And so today our goal, and even through the goal through this Sermon series is a couple things. It's first that what I want you to do and think about today is to identify where you're at spiritually. Maybe today you are spiritually dead, that you've never considered walking with Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're new to the faith and, you're kind of, and you are walking in infancy. That is awesome. It's wonderful. And hopefully you can kind of assess, well, what do I need? And for you as a church, maybe you know somebody that's brand new to the Lord, and you need to ask yourself, what does that person need? And God, how can you use me in in their life? My hope also today is, and through this series, when you guys end, is that you're learning how to navigate what is the next stage? What do I need to do in my own spiritual journey? Where am I stuck? Am I moving? As Jesus says, come follow me, I will make you a fisher of men. Are you following Jesus and growing and being changed into his likeness? Or are you spiritually stuck? And I want you to really walk away, and I know your pastor does too, to really examine, discover how to make disciples. That you, that you learn to interact with other people in the spiritual journey. As you I'm sure hear all the time, is we want people in small groups. Why? Because that's how Jesus discipled people. And if we believe that Jesus Christ is the greatest discipler to ever walk the planet, that he is the model, he's the model for everything in our lives, that the word of God is our, it's our blueprint for life, then when we examine what Jesus did, he brought those 12 together and he built relationship and poured everything he had into those relationships. And so for us that we discover, what does that mean for me? And do I know how to make a disciple? So that's our goal for this whole series. There's two questions that I really want us to, to, to look at today. First question is, who is a spiritual child? Who is it? It might be you, it might be your neighbor, it might be, I, I don't know, but for you, to, we're going to take a look at that today. And second is, what do they need? What does a spiritual child need? And so one of the scriptures I want to look at is the concept and idea in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. I'm a Bible guy. I love teaching the Word of God. Um, I know this church loves the Word of God, and so we're going to take a great story from Scripture, and we're going to look at this idea of being a spiritual child. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew. Yeah, come on. I know you're supposed to cheer. That's right. Hear them pages turning. You don't really hear people slide through their iPhones, but uh, we'll pretend. So Matthew 16, 21 through 25. See, and before, before we look at that verse, I want you to hear something because this is important for us. We have, again, adopted this mindset that Christianity today is about going to church, that we go to church, that we go to this building and we meet in this church building and we worship God. And those are all wonderful things. It's great things. 
Okay, but, but I want you to hear me on this. Nowhere in Scripture does Jesus call you to go to church. He never says, hey, I command you to go to church. Now, he does say, do not forsake the gathering of the believers. And I believe that's, that is a piece of it. But in the context of what Jesus is saying, there's do not forsake being in relationship with each other. Don't walk away from it. That's vital for your health. You need to be in relationship. But nowhere does he say go to church. What he tells you, and he tells us as, as his believers, he says, I want you to be the church. It's some, we, it, church is, is a, it's a descriptive word. The ecclesia is an adjective that describes us. And if we're going to understand what we do with spiritual children, we have to understand that this is something we have to be. The church is who we are. And for too long, in this culture anyway, the church has been about a place that we go, not something that we are. That has to change. Or we can't raise spiritually healthy people. And we see this issue kind of arise, this spiritual self-centeredness in Matthew chapter 16, verses 21 through 25. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the whole passage and then go back and point some things out, okay? So here we go, 21, it says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. If you're one of those Bible highlighters, underliners, circlers, one of those folks, I want you to underline that right there, right there, that he would be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me We'll find it. Here's what's going on there. Jesus just told Peter and the disciples two things. One, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to be beaten, and I'm going to be killed. But he told them a second thing. But I'm going to raise to life. Now, Peter behaved exactly like my boys behave. Just the other day, I told the boys, I said, boys, the backyard, or we had this patio, was a disaster. Their toys and their stuff was everywhere out there. There were socks, one shoe. It was a mess. And I said, boys, get out there and clean that up. I want you to pick up everything, I said. And I want it cleaned up and put away. Take care of it. They go out, no kidding. They ran out there. I watched them. I think one of them picked up the shoe and kind of threw it to the side, and they grabbed the football that was sitting there, and they went out in the backyard, and they began playing football. And I walked outside, and I said, boys, did you not hear what I said? You said to pick our stuff up. I said, you picked up a football and a shoe. Oh, 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 you mean everything. Yeah, pick it all up, clean it all up, Right. Peter's acting just like our kids do at times. He he heard part of the story. He he didn't hear all what Jesus said, or he didn't grasp it or understand it, or it didn't sink into his heart. Wait a minute, you're going to be killed. And the second part is you're going to raise again. Because Peter's response is, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let you die. And Jesus' response is, Peter, quit thinking about yourself. Quit being acting like a child, Peter. Didn't you hear what I said? 
is the kind of attitude and context Jesus has. What he's saying here, he says, if anyone would come after me, and he's looking at Peter, he says, he must deny himself. That it's not about your own needs, Peter. But see, Peter can kind of get this bad rap that, that being at this place he was spiritually is, is a bad thing. Or sometimes we can even look at kids, that, they're kind of wrong for acting the way they do, and, and kids are not wrong for being kids. It's unhealthy if they never grow up and begin acting like adults. Is that true? Same thing for us spiritually. If we just stay at this growth stage of being a child and we act like a child spiritually our whole lives, spiritually, I believe that's like a disease. We have to grow up, become adults and spiritual parents that can disciple other people. That's what we're called to do. That's the sanctification process, isn't it? And so when we look at this in this story, we, there's some, some things with Peter. One, we know this. Peter was willing to die for Jesus. He was willing to go at it wholeheartedly. It's just like my boys, all four of my kids. Man, they go into whatever they're going to do full tilt. If it's go jump off of something, they're going to go full tilt. And that's how Peter was. He's going in all the way, no doubt about it. I'll die for you. He was willing to follow Jesus. Think about it. He left everything behind to follow Jesus. He was willing to go. He was committed. He was excited. But still in the end, this characteristic of him is he was self-centered. He didn't understand it all. He didn't, he didn't have a, a, some hindsight on what was going to happen. But he was definitely concerned about Jesus and he was concerned about himself. What do you mean you're going to die? And what does that mean for me and everything I've given up? Right? I can't let that happen. He was self-centered. And oftentimes... I think us as, as Christians, and I see this in the church all the time, is we have this approach that we come into church with this attitude of, what can I get out of it? What can church do for me? And certainly as we come into service and we gather together, there are things that we benefit from. The Holy Spirit speaks to us. The Word of God teaches us. But folks, Jesus tells Peter right here, he says, you must deny yourself. One of my favorite passages is Romans 12.1. Paul says, In view of God's mercy, to offer yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That is your spiritual act of worship. What Paul is saying, that word spiritual is logikos in the Greek. It means logical, where we get it. Paul's saying the logical response, the logical response, if you understand what Jesus has done, is to lay yourself upon the altar. To die to self. Not to be self-centered and self-focused. And as Christians, we've, we have, the church has adopted this mentality that everybody that comes into the church, it's about, well, what can I get out of it? And what does church get, get for me? And if I don't like the music, I'm moving on. And if I don't like what the preacher said, I'm moving on. When was Christianity ever about you? Ever. It's about Jesus Christ and who He is. And that we're here to serve Him because of what He has done for us. And when we get into that mindset of, Lord, I'm here, I am nothing. It's then at that place, as Paul, or as, as Jesus is talking about, that we can grow. And that Jesus ministers to us and we grow up in our faith. And we talk about it in Christianity, it's not about our comfort zone. And we get pushed out of it and that's okay. It's hard, it's hard sayings, but it's what Jesus wants. The other thing we see in Peter is there is an excitement. There certainly is. 
There's this place for kids, this place of discovery. The spiritual children are always in this place of, wow, it's new to them. That this is new and I'm learning new things from Scripture. And I know kind of like with my kids, all, everything, my boys right now, they're, they're in this place always asking questions and being inquisitive. And Dad, how does that work? And why does this happen? And in and, and this place of excitement and asking great questions. And spiritual children, that's where they're at. When we see somebody come to Christ and they're growing up and they're starting to spend time in the Word, we see them begin asking questions. Why does God do this? And, and why does the Word say that? And what about this? It's awesome to watch. But there's this peace in us as spiritual children if we're in that place where we got to die to ourselves, And let me tell you, I can be the chief sinner of that to where life can be all about me. And put myself at the center of it and be selfish and, and struggle and worry and, and be self-centered. But then God has to remind me, no, that I need to die to myself and grow up. So what do they need? What do spiritual children need? I think the first thing that we see is that they need, we need to help them connect to God. That when they come into church, spiritual children, as they're growing up, as they're excited about their faith, as they're learning to die to self, is we have to help them connect to God, connect to his word, to understand, God, what is your plan for me? And what do you, and what do you have for me? And be able to learn and model for them this whole idea of prayer and reading and studying the Word. We live in a time and culture now to where biblical illiteracy is higher than it's ever been. The people don't know the Word of God. They don't know the stories. They don't know the Scriptures. I love that this church, I mean, you guys cheer when we say, let's open the Word of God. That is awesome. But that we help people to understand, for me to grow up spiritually, I have to connect to God. On a, on, on a level that's deeper than just, yeah, I know Jesus. But then we get into the Word and we help them get into the Word and we help them to study and to know. The second thing that we have to do is help them connect to the church family. This whole idea, and I know even today, signing up for groups of being in and connected to the church family. I had a man, I told this story on on Saturday, maybe it was Friday, uh, I had a guy in my small group. He was brand new to the, to, to the faith. He'd been a Christian two, three months. And he um, came into small group one night, and he was sitting across from me in group, and he had this look on his face like I, I, I didn't know whether he was going to hit me. Uh, he, he was not a happy camper. Something was going on wrong. And as we went through group, he just kind of got more and more angry, and his arms were folded, and he's just giving me the scowl. And I didn't know whether to stop group or what was going on. We finally kind of we get, finish up group, and I, his name is Tim. And I said, Tim, I said, what, what's going on? What's the matter? Now, at the same time, that Sunday, our pastor was preaching on being a spiritual, being a, a, hus- a godly husband and godly father. And I remember, he had been a Christian for about three months. And Tim says to me, he goes, Brandon, he goes, I can't do anything that, 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 you're, that Jim was talking about the pastors. I can't do any of that. He goes, this Christianity thing, I'm done with it. I don't want anything to do with it. It's like, whoa, what, what, what's going on? He goes, Brandon, he goes, I, he goes, I grew up and I never even had a dad in my life. He goes, my uncle sexually abused me. He goes, I, 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 don't, I don't know what it means to be a, to be a, a godly dad or Husband, I, 
I can't do any of the things that he was talking about. I don't know what that looks like. He goes, I don't, he goes, I don't need to feel like a failure from the start. I can't do this. It's like, wow. My heart was broken. So I turned to the guy next to me, and, I, and his name is Damon. I said, Damon, I said, what do you do with your family? How are you leading them? Damon had been a Christian about a year. He began to share, and we went around. Different guys were sharing, well, this is what I do, and this is kind of the failures I have. And I shared with them my own insecurities. And times I forget to pray and don't do it right and make mistakes. And the whole time we're talking, it's all of his body just began to kind of relax. He looked across me and he goes, so let me get this right. You guys don't have it figured out either. I said, you're right. We're doing the best we can and we're learning and we're helping each other and we're walking this and this is why we're doing it. This is why it's important you're connected in here. And he's watching these guys pray out loud. He's watching these guys how to study the Bible. He's learning how to connect to God and how to connect to each other. And I'm watching him right in front of me kind of learn and start to grow up in his faith. And the question I've always wondered is what would have happened had that group never been there that night? Where he would be today? Because he went on and he's doing great things for the kingdom today. But what would have happened to him? And I often wonder when people come into the church, where are they at in their connectedness? Are they connected to God on a deeper level? Are they growing closer to Him and not falling away? Do they have people around them that say, man, you can do it. Hang in there. I know you're having a bad week. I talked about adopting my son. And when we adopted my son, that was one of the most painful things for me personally, difficult things that I've ever been through. It was hard. And it was hard for my son that was adopted. And I remember when we first got him, and I'm telling you, for the first 18 months, for 18 months, every single night, and I've said every single night, when I went into that boy's room, When I went into his room every single night, he'd take my hand and he'd say, uh, um, and he was scared to death. And he'd say, um, 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 Dad, Dad, um, are, are, are we going to have breakfast? I'd say, yeah, son, we're going to have breakfast. Um, um, Dad, he'd tap my hand. Dad, uh, are, are we, are we going to have breakfast? I'd say, yeah, son, we're going to have breakfast. I'd say, have we ever missed a breakfast? No, no. So we're going to have breakfast. Yeah, we'll have breakfast. Okay. And it would break my heart. It would break my heart. Now, kid comes in and makes his own pancakes and omelets and tells me to get out of his way. <laughs> but for us spiritually, it's, it's the same thing. God's adopted us in. And he could ask me that question because he and I were in relationship and he was connected in our family. And as he was growing up, he, he could look at me and could ask that question, Dad, are we going to have breakfast? And I've always thought about that spiritually. Is that where my heart is with my Lord? That I'm so connected to him that every morning I come to my Jesus and say, are we going to have breakfast? Am I connected in that way? And I'm telling you, when I've been through difficult things in my life, and I don't know if this is about you, I've been through some hard things in ministry, and there's days I've wanted to quit and walk away. See, I can't do this anymore. And it's the guys around me that were around me that said, man, yes, you can. Hang in there. We got your back. We're with you. Don't give up. 
See, somewhere along the way, we adopted this mindset in the church that spiritual maturity means that I can be independent. That I'm so spiritually strong, I don't need anybody. I don't need people to pray for me. We even adopted this idea in, in pastoral ministry that's just garbage, that, I, that to stand on this stage, that I can't share my struggles and my issues with the guys closest to me. Yet, meanwhile, in the church in America, the, number, the two things that are most reported of, of issues in the church in America is loneliness and, and, and hurt and non-involvement. How did it ever get to that place that the church's number one issue is loneliness? That's counter to the Christian faith, isn't it? That we're called to be in relationship. And actually, spiritual maturity is understanding the the, the idea that I need people around me. Last night, I had a conversation with my team and poured my heart out to them on some things I'm struggling with. Because I know spiritual maturity is to admit my weaknesses, admit things that I'm that I can't do it without others. That's being spiritually strong, not spiritual weakness. In fact, I would say spiritual weakness that our spiritual growth and spiritual maturity is a direct correlation to how connected we are in the church relationally. Let me say it a different way: Show me a Christian that's all alone. I'll show you an immature Christian. what the Word of God says. Hebrews 3.12 is one of my favorite passages. Hebrews 3.12 says, says this, Encourage one another daily as long as it is called today, so that your heart may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. You see it right there. So that your heart may not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Encourage one another how often? How often? Daily. See to it, my brothers, that none of you get a sinful, unbelieving heart. How do we get a sinful, unbelieving heart? By not encourage one another daily. See, sin in our heart becomes deceived, becomes hardened. When I'm not in a relationship where I have people around me to say, hey, you got this, I'm in your corner, I've locked shields with you, we're together in this. See, when I don't have those kind of relationships, it's a matter of time before the devil gets in there and my heart becomes hardened. By sin. But we have to encourage one another daily. Folks, it's a mandate from Scripture. Being in community and relationship with each other in the Christian faith is not an option. It has to be our priority. Not because the church says, hey, we need to do small groups. It's because the Word of God says, I have to be in relationship. I have to grow up in my faith. I've got to be connected to the church family. And as we are connected to God and connected to the family, my final thing is this, is we then connect to our purpose. I have a guy in my small group right now, that I'm this, this guy I'm discipling, he's a really neat guy. And he's just growing like crazy. And he's getting to this place right now where he's starting to ask me every week. He says, um, I've I, I got to do something with my faith. I, I just feel like I'm stuck. I, I've got to grow. I've, I've, I've got to go help other people. It's literally the Holy Spirit is doing so much in him. It's, it's like this byproduct. He can't help it. I've got to go serve other people. And I think that's the way it should be, that we're, we're in relationship, walking together, and we realize I have to go minister to the people around me. The Holy Spirit's pushing him to do it. 
And we start to understand when we're connected in and we're in relationship that God, use me to help others, serve others. That's what you saved me for and created me to be, to be in relationship with you and to minister to the people around me. Well, I know that um, you guys each week have been hearing a testimony from one of the guys in your church. And I got to hear a little bit of his testimony. It was powerful. And this is, and, and as I was talking to him, and I asked him a couple of questions, and, and this is exactly what he's been going through. And I'm going to let him share his story. But I know as Mark connected with God and began growing and connected with others and his people were pouring into his life, he couldn't help but say, I've got to give these things over to you, Lord. I've got to grow up. I've got to, the focus has got to come off me and it's got to go on to the things of you. It was a, I, I think I'm probably putting words, maybe putting words in his mouth, but I think he would say that it was a, it's just, I couldn't help it. It's what Jesus was doing in me. I had to do these things. And as he was growing up from being an infant to a child and starting to care about the things of the kingdom, the Holy Spirit was doing that in his life. And so I'm going to have Mark come up and let him share a testimony. But for each of you today, and we're going to have a moment, time in a little bit to just pray together. I want you to be wrestling with that. And to be saying, God, what is it you want from me? How can I connect on a deeper level? Am I being a spiritual child? Do I need to grow up? And so as you hear Mark's story, I want you to reflect on that because we're going to pray on it here in a little bit. Hello? 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 Yeah, it's me again. I'd like to correct Marshall first before I start. You said back in your day, Marshall, you're not old enough to have a day yet. Okay, just wanted to correct that. Anyway, the first week, um, I told you about the experiences that led up to me receiving Christ as my Savior. And uh, last week, I talked about a guy who pulled me alongside and said, hey, plug in, we'll do some discipleship. And this week, I'd like to explain a year, year and a half, two years into that discipleship process and what happens. And one of the things I realized was before Christ in your life, you write your own moral code. You, you know what I mean? There's always somebody worse than you. No matter what you've done, you know, you could take a quarter from your mom's purse, but there's a guy that robbed a 7-Eleven, so you're, you're okay. But uh, I want to describe a couple instances that happened. And um, one of them was I was driving along in a car, and I had to slam on my brakes, and out from under the seat rolled a fire extinguisher, and it hit me in the heels. Well, that's not a big deal, except the fact that it was stolen. I didn't steal it, so it was okay. A um, little background is I had a part-time job working for a company who shuttled people and luggage to the hotels from the airport. And I was a part-time Thursday, Sunday night supervisor, and I would run guys to the truck rentals and take trucks and move stuff around and people and all that stuff. But we had guys that were taking people, things out of people's luggage, and they took fire extinguishers out of the rental trucks. And one guy gave that to me one night. He says, hey, here's something for your car. I justified it because I didn't personally steal it. So it rolls out from under the seat, hits me in the heels, immediately the Holy Spirit is going, 
you got to give that back. I was like, no. It's just a fire extinguisher. And, you know, you don't argue with the Holy Spirit because you can't win. And and so I realized i got to take it back, and I decided to do it. So I worked swing shifts, so my days were open, and I decided to drive over to the trucking company, and this was kind of rough because they know who I am. I pull up to the gate, and there's a sign on it that says, Closed due to a death in the family. I'm going, oh, boy, now what? So I took a piece of paper and a rubber band, and I wrote on the fire extinguisher, This is your extinguisher. I had possession. It's stolen. I didn't steal it, but I'm giving it back. And I signed my name, and I wrapped a rubber band, and I put it under the gate. So I don't know if I kind of snuck through that one or not, but at least, at least I got it back to him. The second part is a little deeper. And um, I worked, I think I explained to you, I worked as a bellman at the Dunes Hotel in Las Vegas, which you check people into the rooms, they give you tips. Um, one of the things that you do, and I'm trying to be sensitive to this, is bellmen have a reputation of being the ones to make a connection for guests to have female companionship. Did I politically correct that one or not? Anyway, I never was really involved in it, and I'd have people ask me, and I'd say, you have to call the bell captain. There again, my moral code was um, written for me. But we pulled our tips. And in other words, the 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock shift would throw all their tips into the bell captain. they divide it up and split it per shift. And so when I work Friday and Saturday nights and the hotel is full, there's not much tips you can make because there's nobody to check in the rooms. So I would turn in 7 or $8, and I'd get an envelope back with 60 or 70 And part of that money was the companionship that was going on upstairs split with the bell captain, and then it was split with the bellman. And the Holy Spirit convicted me, and I shouldn't be taking this money. So I went to the bell captain, and I told him, I'm going to start giving you this money back. And he looked at me like I was insane. What do you mean, kid? He was kind of an OCD guy, always tucking his cuffs and his collar and his tie. What do you mean, kid? You've got a family. You've got kids. You can't do that. I go, Bobby, I can't do this anymore. I don't want the money. I'm going to give you back what I think is the part. What am I supposed to do with it? I don't care. I'm not taking it. So I started giving back the money. And it blew everybody's mind. So what happened was, about a month later, they changed the 20-year policy at the bell desk. For no, no longer you pulled your tips, you kept your own tips. And so I kept whatever I earned instead of pulling it together. And just to, to kind of put an icing on it, I would be standing in line next in turn, and there'd be a single guy over at the, the desk that was a repeat customer. I'd have the other bellman in line come up to me and said, I'll give you $10 for your spot. And so I'd take the $10, put my pocket, go to the end of the line, and those guys were out trying to hustle. And, that, and that's how I got, I got my pay reimbursed, was I didn't participate in it anymore, and the policy got changed. And I think that is so cool because what happened was the Holy Spirit immediately got on me 
that this is something different that I never paid attention to. And so the discipleship that I was going through was getting down into my heart, and now I was trying, I was fleshing it out into my life. And I noticed these things. Um, one more real quick. God took drinking away from me in my potty mouth. Well, about a year, year and a half into this, I decided one night after work that I could stop at the 7-Eleven pick up two wine coolers because it's not quite beer and it's not quite a cocktail. It's kind of alcohol light. And I bought two of them and I said, you know, I'm okay with this. And I put, they put them in the brown paper bag. I took them in my car and the Holy Spirit was like, Listen, let's review your history. You're not good with this. One beer leads to 12. This isn't going to work. And I, I thought about it and go, you're right. I can't do this. So I got out of my car and I put him in the trash. And I've never had a, a debate or an issue with alcohol ever again. But I, I needed that one test. And the Holy Spirit was the one on my, on my shoulder. So anyway, I just wanted to share it with you guys, and uh, uh, there's more to come. Thanks, Mark. One of the things I like to do, I call it directed prayer. I want to just take some time right now. I'm going to give you guys a couple things to to just pray over. So in the quietness of your heart, Just bow your heads. And I want you to just take a moment right now between you and the Lord. Maybe today you are feeling disconnected from God. Maybe you're just feeling, Lord, I'm not close to you. Maybe I've strayed. Maybe you haven't spent time with Him. Maybe there's an area of your life where you're just too busy. God isn't fitting into that part of your life. Take a moment right now and pray and ask God to help you with it. Have, as Mark talked about, the Holy Spirit, maybe you're battling with Him over something. And He wants you to be close to Him. So take a moment in the quietness of your heart to just give those things to God. into a group. You have been busy. You haven't seen a need for it. Maybe you've even justified it. But the Word of God tells you, tells us in Genesis 2.18, it is not good that you are alone. That you have to be in relationship with other believers. That you need it. You need it spiritually like we need water physically. Ask God to help you with that. But maybe today that you can go right out there and get in a group today. My prayer is that every single person in this church would be connected in the community on a deeper level. Spend some time in prayer over it.
finally this morning. And maybe you've never really connected into your purpose. Maybe you've been in group. You've been part of this church. But you haven't taken the time to say, God, use me however you want. Maybe it's hosting a small group. Maybe it's ministering to people that are hurting in the church. Maybe it's maybe it's giving. Maybe it's being a part of uh, a mission trip. I, I have no idea. But God's been working in your heart. And He wants you to, to be a part of His mission.